Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Hello Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. It's the second ever episode of our Champions League review show back for the second time in two weeks. Don't worry, you get a week off next week. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host as we look through all four the Champions League round of 16 first leg ties that were played this week everybody in the round of 16 has now played so we can take some assertions and some viewpoints along what we've seen so far I'm joined by the rank officer Santai how you doing mate mate I'm picking the wrong games I think I'm I'm laying down a Champions League curse you know this week I've I've ex- I've expressed my interest 
in a game early doors, you know, we split the games up between us. I say, guys, I want to watch this one. Thing goes absolutely fine with me, mate. Every single time <laughs> I get it wrong. <laughs> yeah. But, but I was still entertained. To be fair, <laughs> it's a Wednesday night. We've just watched Inter Porto and Leipzig against Man City. Neither of them were absolute thrillers. Let's be perfectly honest with you. There was no winner of a game, I don't think, tonight. Both games were relatively entertaining, but they weren't cracker jacks in the way that yesterday we had them. And we'll start with that. Uh, also joined here by our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. How you doing, mate? Yeah, I had a lovely time, mate. I've got one game to assess and it was the best one of all of them. So I've had a lovely time. Thank you very much, Sam, for picking the game that you did so that I could quite happily take Liverpool v Real Madrid, one of the best games I've ever watched, off your toes. Um, yeah. I presume nice, you've watched nice it by now, mate. Yeah, I presume you have watched this one by now. But if you haven't, you can listen to my points instead. Because um, what do we do? Three big learnings of each Champions League tie. Champions um, League takeaway, isn't it? Yeah, Champions League Consid- takeaway. It's fitting considering the, the competition is sponsored by just eat these days so you know <laughs> away with just eat maybe we should pitch that maybe we should uh give it give it to just eat and see see what they say for it um but if for now listening, wants to sponsor a podcast here, here we are here we are here right. we are indeed right liverpool two real madrid five nothing major dean no nothing major um first point vinicius masterclass i've just written um this lad left anfield in a state of absolute shock um, he's killed the tie. He's killed the tie. Um, there's no comeback to be had here. I, I, I just don't see it. After this match, An- Ancelotti has declared Vinicius Junior as the most decisive player in the world. Now, that's a really big call, um, but maybe as a point, especially when it comes to Liverpool. Um, he has a great record against him, um, particularly the last couple of games. He scored the winner, of course, in the Champions League final. And in this one, Real Madrid just lulled Liverpool into a full sense of security and then just left it to, to Vinny to do some weird damage. Liverpool were 2-0 up and look, they did dominate spells of this game. There's no doubt about it. Um, the chances were there for them. But, you know, there were aspects of this game that they just they just couldn't manage. And when Vinicius, players like him are around, they will keep hunting and hunting until they catch you out. And that is what happened here. Now, Joe Gomez is getting his fair share of blame for uh, Liverpool's downfall in this match. Yeah, he didn't have a very good match. But you also have to admire the talent and perseverance of Vinny in a, in a moment. Um, like the first goal, for example. Um, he's executed it brilliantly. Like, he, he has literally forced the chance. He's produced a moment of magic and then he's finished it off. Like, not many players could have scored from there in that fashion, especially past... Um, a goalkeeper like that. And then on the second goal, he's chasing a dead moment, really. He's he's really like, even he's not expecting much from that. And like, of course, it's luck. Um, Alisson has well, brain fart, I guess you could call it. Um, we'll talk about that it's a bit a rare, later It's on. a rare one, isn't it? But yeah. It's a rare. I'm going to talk about that in a bit. But um, yeah, look, it's suddenly 2-2. It's not luck, though, right? This is self-belief. This is self-confidence. This is something that Real Madrid have in abundance year after year, and it pays off. This is not a fluke that they managed to turn results like this around. And it's the self-confidence and the self-belief that maybe Liverpool didn't even have at 2-0. Because, yes, the place was rocking, and it was more like they couldn't believe it than they were, like, you know, expecting to be in this position. And, like, yes, we are back to being Liverpool. It was like, oh, my God, we're beating Real Madrid. It was kind of like, 
how I'd feel if Fulham were two 0 up against Real Madrid. It was it was very weird. And then look, goal number three comes, and it's Vinicius that forces the free kick. He wins the free kick off yeah. Joe Gomez, and then you know, Real Madrid scored the third goal at the start of the second half, and it basically kills off the game. And they obviously scored two more to make it five. But the big lesson here: Vinicius Junior is a one hundred and fifty million pound footballer at this point. You you look at players that you could compare him to that have gone for big money in the last couple of years. Say you look at Jaden Sancho. Say you look at Darwin Nunez. Say you talk about Mudrik, right? All these players that go for like eighty-five million pound, like around there. I tell you what, this guy Vinicius is twice as good as this lot. The only player that you can put into the same bracket at the moment as Vinicius Junior is killing Mbappe. I really, I really think that. I think that Vinicius has set himself well apart from all those other players and that Mbappe is really the only one I can, can talk about now. So when Ancelotti does talk about him being the most decisive player in the world, I mean, my first, when I heard him saying that, I was like, well, he's comparing him here to, to Mbappe, basically. Like, Mbappe is probably the guy that you would look to, especially on the back of what he's been able to do for France and how he's turned games. Um, but on the domestic level, maybe he's got a point. But yeah, it, it's very interesting. And Vinicius, anyway, from this game was just absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I think it's a, a really good point because whilst there was obviously praise for Vinny Jr. last night, I thought that generally most of the praise that you were seeing across social media was going to Luka Modric, fairly, who was absolutely sensational in the midfield, and Karim Benzema, who again was excellent, especially in the second half of this one. But Vinicius was the key man. I thought I thought exactly the same coming out of the back of it. It was a Vinicius Junior masterclass. And there was so much of it. And it had so many different elements, as you say. These are the things that you look at. It was the moments that he creates. And, and I think you're right in terms of that first goal. So few players could do that. Because what people maybe don't see is Fabinho is covering the angle for him to try and duck inside. And obviously, we've just watched Man City, right? And Jack Grealish does his notes. He comes to the, he faces a player up and then he looks to cut outside of them, back towards his own goal in order to open up the shooting angle. That doesn't exist for Vinicius at that point because Fabinho is covering that channel. Gomez, yes, doesn't get out to him fast enough, fine. And and he leaves a little bit too much space. But to be perfectly honest, 99% of the time, that's fine. You can leave that kind of space because there is no avenue, there is no corridor for a player to actually manoeuvre the ball, to manipulate the space in order to get that shot away. But Vinicius manages that because Vinicius is magic. And generally, I just thought it, it was an absolutely incredible performance. You're spot on with that one. Uh, let's go to point number two, though. Yeah, nice one. Um, well, on the second point, I am going to talk about Luka Modric um, because he schooled Stefan Bajetic here. And look, that, I think this matchup basically summed up the gulf between the two teams. Um, this is not a dig at the Liverpool player. Like, he is the youngest Champions League debutant, I think, that they've ever had. Um, he's been great for them since coming in. This, is, this isn't a dig at him. He is literally half Modric's age, right? Literally. Um, but the difference between these two players summed up the difference between Liverpool and Real Madrid at this moment in time. Now, there is a rivalry between Liverpool and Real Madrid that's been created. Um, but when they last played in the Champions League final... There wasn't a lot between them. Literally, it was Vinicius being decisive. Um, that's not the case anymore. I mean, you, you watch this tie. There's a huge gulf between these two teams at the moment. And you look at what's happening domestically. And yeah, Madrid are still, you know, a bit back from Barcelona in terms of, of winning the title. But they can still win it. Liverpool are miles off it and might not even qualify for the top four. So this is a Madrid team that are world champions too. Um, and while, you know, Bacetic has been a... 
a godsend for Liverpool since he came in and could save them a lot of money in that position. This was a learning curve for him and a steep one too. You know, he didn't even have a bad game. It's just that yeah. he didn't have a game that is good enough to compete with a Real Madrid midfield that contains a Luka Modric who is in pretty good form. Like Modric, honestly, here, by the end of it, I tweeted it. I don't tweet very often. That's how, that's how you know, I, how <laughs> set back I was by this game. He was treating it like a kickabout of his mates. He was just strolling around. He just he spent the game, once they settled into it, obviously it did take them a while because they were rocked a little bit by going 2-0 down. Just found little pockets of space that he'd drop into. He'd collect the possession again and launch the counter-attacks. And it's that sharp, those sharp movements that drops him into those spots and then the smart decision-making and the passing that just, just sets him apart. It has done, obviously, for a long time. But in a game like this, it was telling. He obviously took the free kick too to make it 3-2 to set up uh, that goal. And really, it was just a reminder of why you need players like this on the form on big Champions League nights. And it was kind of glaring that Liverpool haven't got that at the moment. Yeah. I mean, look, we've talked about Liverpool's midfield as a problem all season. but And, and you can't usually use this as the benchmark, can you? Because Camavinga kind of struggled, I thought, for the first 20, 30 yeah. minutes of this. And then suddenly started to find his rhythm. Valverde is Valverde. He just covers for everybody else all the time, no matter what position you put him in. And then Modric, just as he found his groove, kind of just made everything tick. But I, I wouldn't lay it by Cetic's door. I, I think you're right in that. I know, I know you're not trying to blame him for this performance. And Jurgen Klopp came out beforehand and said, look, he can't lose tonight. If he has a brilliant game, it's all on him. If he has a bad game, it's on me for picking him and, and throwing him in at the deep end. And he yeah. didn't have a bad game, as you say. But there are just moments here where you just go, this is Luka Modric. He's a if not a once-in-a-generation midfield, then definitely up in the, the absolute yeah. legendary bracket. And he just settled into it and started to pull strings. And actually, the player that I thought struggled with him the most was Fabinho, who just doesn't look like the player that yeah. he was <laughs> yeah, six months ago, even seven months ago. I thought it was that matchup that really stuck apart for me. Bacetic did all right. He worked hard. He wasn't as good as Valverde, but he did okay. And then you have Fabinho coming at the kind of two older statesmen. Obviously, Fabinho is nowhere near as old as, as Modric is, but the kind of people are supposed to glue this together. And Modric just schooled him. Uh, as you say, just yeah. one of those midfield performances that you look back on and go, that's a master at work. And sometimes you have to just stuff your cap. Yeah, I, I probably picked by Chetich out here um, because he is Liverpool's best midfielder. <laughs> and maybe he shouldn't be. Maybe, you know, it's not, it's probably not fair on him that he is actually their best midfielder. This is a player that should be in and out of the team, really. Shouldn't be a consistent member of, of a Liverpool starting midfield week after week. But they actually count on him and they, they had to try and count on him here because of that. So, yeah, a victim of his own success in a way. Um, let's talk about a couple of other victims right in here in my third and final point because there were two goalkeeping uh, mishaps here that would be absolutely nailed on normally for Melon of the Week, both of them. Um, Courtois, uh, hang your head in shame. <laughs> and Alison, what are you doing, son? Um, but you know what? It, it, it got me thinking, and as Taylor saw it, she's like, what, what are they doing? Like, why don't they just like, why don't you just kick it away? Like, what are they, what's the plan here? Why are they doing that? And I was like thinking about like what, what is happening. And I think basically goalkeeping should, 
probably start coming with a warning like to, to anyone that's going to do it because the, the position is not the same as it was. And I think that goalkeepers are now more and more at risk of this happening to them than, than ever before. Um, in the modern game, we shouldn't be surprised that this is going to happen more and more often because goalkeepers are being increasingly encouraged to play it out of the back and to pass it out and to become a footballer, not a goalkeeper, as I would say. Like They, they, they will <laughs> soon be able to be considered for Footballer of the Year because they're expected to be able to play good football. Um, I think, honestly, it's, it's slightly unfair at times. Like Some of the, the positions that they have to pick the ball up in and some of the passes they have to receive, um, it's not always their fault. I saw, I think Gomez again got a bit of a bit of a stick for for his pass back in this. I, I don't know that's necessarily fair, um, but yeah, these Not are. Sure Gomez had anything wrong there? No, yeah, no, he did lots so. of things wrong in this game. That wasn't one of them. Yeah, there yeah. was. A, there I think was with the one... goalkeeper thing, Dean, I saw it very well summed up on Twitter. Someone said it's now an occupational hazard. It's just something you have to you have to accept is, and deal yeah. with you know these kinds of mistakes because of the role that they now have to play you're just going to have to accept it maybe dean maybe the big takeaway is that the standard for men of the week for goalkeepers needs to shift along a bit catch up with the modern game my friend yeah yeah well i think basically it comes out look if you're you cannot get away with a bad touch or a bad tu- or a bad pass as a goalkeeper like which is mad because they're the, they're the worst at it. <laughs> it's, li- it's really not part of the job, is it? Like unless it, unless it's literally Edison. Yeah. Um, so it, it's. I think it's just really interesting that that those two goalkeepers that are so good have made such high profile errors in such a big match. Um, but. I think it's actually not a bad thing because I think it will make some goalkeepers out there feel a lot better about themselves. And a lot of young goalkeepers should actually take heart in it that if this is the, this is what you want to do in the future, if you want to be a goalkeeper, you have to take these risks, then you have to accept that sometimes things are going to go wrong. And it's just part of the game now. It, it's not actually, you won't get men of the week in the future for this. It's going to have to be a lot worse. Uh, you'll have to, unless you try to do a step over, then I might still give it to you. Courtois was still a bit dodgy, but um, ultimately, yeah, I'll accept that this has become part of the game. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, a massive win for Real Madrid. And as you said at the right at the top of this, it feels done, doesn't it? You know, three three goals behind. Going back to Anfield maybe would have given Liverpool a sniff even this season. And obviously, Dean, you and I talked on that Champions League preview podcast about the feeling that Liverpool just sometimes turn it on in this competition, even when things aren't going well for them yeah. said the same about Chelsea in the past but against Real Madrid at the Bernabeu not for me I'm afraid um, no, I mean, and, Madrid and always want to be at home. And give them hope they always want to be at home second anyway because they know they can kill anyone off there um yeah I, I just don't see that unless their mentality just isn't right unless Madrid totally switch off in the first half of that game and allow Liverpool to get a couple of goals back and it's like 2-0 at half time with all to play for it's not possible but it seems unlikely, yeah. Indeed, indeed. Okay, right, let's flip to the other game on Tuesday night, which was Eintracht Frankfurt nil, Napoli 2. Sam, you took point on this one. What are the big takeaways? Well, apart from the fact that I picked the wrong game, uh, <laughs> yeah, Eintracht Frankfurt beaten at home and, well, they competed. They competed for half an hour. They set up, they certainly set up a strategy, a tactical shell, and they thought they had Napoli's number until Napoli switched it up and wriggled out of it. And really, I was quite impressed with how with how versatile 
uh, Napoli were and how they were able to try different things and basically figure out on the fly how to beat a really obstinate opponent who, you know what, defended pretty well in some parts. And the first area I'd like to focus on really is not probably what you want to expect. It's Irving Lozano. And it's about the fact that he probably deserves a bit more respect. And I'm addressing everybody here, including myself, because we're only, what, a day off a podcast in which we talked about Kvara and Ossiemen as, you know, a deadly duo, world's deadliest duo maybe, incredible goal-scoring combo, assisting each other, talking about them as a, using them as a crutch to talk about Napoli's season, all season long. You know what, there is, there is another dude on the other wing <laughs> and he's actually quite good as well. And I am as guilty as anybody of just kind of sometimes forgetting about him a little bit. But I think in this, in this game, he really stood up and particularly for the breakthrough for the first half, he had a better first half than Kavara. Genuinely, had a better first half. He was more Kavara effective. Missed a penalty. That's not particularly difficult. <laughs> Even aside from the penalty, in terms of like inroads, open play, impacts, um, Napoli's ability to get the ball into dangerous areas, and, and ability to beat a man, he was better. He genuinely was better for 45 or 60 minutes. Because Napoli did initially try to focus on the left wing. They would circulate the ball across the back. And then they'd wait for Kavara to basically try and run in behind Aurelio Buta, who's the Eintracht's right wing back, and see if they could they could get uh, Kavara in behind because all the space in the middle was gone. Eintracht were really compact; they didn't let they didn't let the midfield really roll over. So they tried to they tried to flip Kavara in behind a few times, and he couldn't outpace Buta. And Buta did just enough with him to kind of nudge him or to, to throw him off stride or to see the ball out. And Kvara kind of got nowhere with it. And so plan A was not really working properly. So at some point in the first half, they turned to plan B, which was maybe we should try the other flank. Lozano roasts his man, absolutely roasts him. Philip Max had a terrible game, really, really tough time of it. And um, that seemed to work out pretty well. So they did it again. And um, he slings the ball across for a goal and they do it again. And there's one disallowed just after the goal, basically the same, same identical move. And... It was just a game in which I was like, ah, okay, yeah, I kind of don't really show this guy enough respect. Lozano is, is a part of this of this attacking three. He's not as ever-present, which is probably why we don't talk about yeah, it. I was, gonna, I was going to bring this up. I was like, the person that maybe we need to address this to is also Spalletti, who often plays Politano on that wing instead of Lozano. Yeah, absolutely. But it's there are other guys in this team, and I, I sometimes I'm as guilty as everybody else. You know, the glitz and, and, and the glare of 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 Kavara and Aussie men, and they were great, and we'll get to them. But first up, Chucky, you broke this game open, so you deserve your credit. Yes, indeed. I thought it was very, very good. And that first goal, the pace on that counter-attack is devastating. I, I mean, I tweeted about it, and that is less of an occurrence than when Dean tweeted about Luka Modric. But generally, I think you look at these things, you're like... Can is there any way you can defend it against the pace that both Chucky Lozano and Victor Ossiemen have and the intelligence of Ossiemen to hold that run to make sure that he's the right side of the defender to and then to tap it home? And actually, he scores that goal. It's a bit of a bounces off him goal. And then he scores his next one, which is also a bit of a bounces off him goal, which obviously gets disallowed. Mm. But just generally, I was like, I don't think anyone in the world can defend against that counterattack when it's in full flow. And that's a pretty scary thought for everybody else. Yeah, I mean, Ozzyman actually isn't isn't the the sort of isn't any of my three points. So I guess we'll just quickly address him now. He was absolutely amazing. Like he's outstanding. His ability to skip outside of a player, not break stride, push the ball with a really good first touch into space, and then latch onto it, 
take an early strike, hit the ball with power with no backlift. Like it's it's pretty difficult, man. It's pretty difficult. And it's a shame he didn't get a couple. He won the penalty that Kavara missed just with an explosion of speed. You know, Buta is basically clearing a ball and he's not checked his shoulder and he doesn't realize Ossiman is steaming in. He steams in, gets a little touch, and then Buta, his clearance, ends up just upending Ossiman, throws him about three yards outside the box. He's just the explosion in the movements is just is just mad. But the control that he retains over those movements is is something else as well. But I can't move on to point number two. This does center on Kvara. I think he's been watching videos of Francesco Totti because that dribble and back heel that assists the goal, the second goal for Di Lorenzo mm. is very, very Francesco Totti. It's ridiculous. And the big thing about this is that after the first half, maybe after the first 30, 35 minutes to be more accurate, Kvara's trying to run that left channel, trying to run in behind Buta. He's not getting anywhere with it. He's not seeing enough of the ball. He's not beating his man for pace. They can't really get him into the game. They give him the penalty, he misses it. It's not really going very well. So in the second half, he starts to drift inwards and starts to dribble inside. He takes the ball and rather than run vertically, he just runs flat horizontally. He starts skipping past challenges, heading towards the box, running inside. All of a sudden, he's beating men. He's found his groove. And this second goal obviously comes from him just drifting with the ball, just going. And like, you know, you mentioned Grealish earlier. It's very like Grealish where you're just like, oh, I'll see where this takes me. Like, I'm going on an adventure. And the adventure led him into the box, but on the right-hand side. So he's probably gone about 30, 35 yards with the ball, horizontally, I mean, over to the other side of the box. The reverse pass from Anguissa is absolutely sublime. Yeah, he's, just dr- he's drifted so far across the pitch. Guardiola wouldn't allow it, by the way. He'd be furious because he's on the wrong side of the pitch. But you <laughs> give this player this kind of creative freedom because that's what he is. He plays with joy. And you allow him to do what he does. And... In the same way that Napoli kind of eventually found their way around this Eintracht block, Kvara too had to kind of like try a few different things to figure it out, try a few different movements, try to receive the ball in different areas, try to move in different ways. And eventually he cracked it. And I'm really glad that Di Lorenzo put that ball in the back of the net because it crowned an assist. Otherwise, it would have been a real shame. And we actually get to talk about it as an assist and as a goal. But he grew into this game and he had an effect on this game in a way that I don't think the game plan really had for him but he figured yeah. it out. The noise I made when that goal went in, I, I've got to say. Like, <laughs> Tell us, show us. Lucy's sort, of, Lucy's sort of looking at me across the room being like, what on earth are you doing? Like, was it a squeak? Was it a roar? It was like a squeal um, <laughs> more than anything else. I was just like, ah. um, it, was very Gary, it was very Gary Neville when Fernando Torres yeah. scored that goal against Barcelona. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But with more kind of delight as opposed to shot Despair. i think yeah. it, was, it was just um oh what a goal what a goal anyway yeah. sorry that's just me waxing onwards sam onwards yeah third and final point i'll talk about goalkeepers as well for my third point follow dean's lead on that one um i've been treated to some good goalkeeping displays actually over oh. the course of these last last two nights diogo costa this evening and and kevin trap in this one i mean i'm not gonna say this tie is alive it, you know it is alive but it's the chances are obviously extremely slim. The There's reason, only one reason the it's alive, yeah. The reason the chances are even remotely slim is that Kevin Trapp made nine saves, including a penalty, and a couple of really, really good ones where, in particular, Napoli were taking these near-post corners, so whipping them in, James Ward-Prowse style, lots of dip into the near post, and Napoli were just getting ahead on it. 
and sometimes actually Frankfurt kind of got ahead on it themselves and battering it towards that near post. And Trapp is stood there and he's got like, three people in the way and he's got his hands up in front of his face and he's just trying to just trying to move and like it becomes a bit like Neo from the Matrix style scenes. Um, he's just trying to react. But these sh- these shots that he's saving, they're so powerful. And they're taking nicks and deflections. There's one from Kavara. He, he hits it into the ground and it deflects and he has to tip it over. It's a really good night. Some really good reflex saves. And of course, he saved the penalty. Nine in total. I was really impressed with him. Really, really impressed. And he's kept Eintracht in this game. Although we'll have to temper our expectations. They're 2-0 down. They're going to Italy next. And Randall Kolomowani was sent off in this mm. second half, which was a shambles of a decision. Yeah, really, really tough for him, isn't it? It's one of those ones that you kind of hope will get overturned, but the chances of it being overturned, considering it was looked at by VAR and decided that it was yeah. still a red card, feel relatively slim at this point. But yeah, never ascending off for me and maybe does kill the tie dead, which is a shame because Eintracht started well. They were you know, a very, very good value, I thought, to have gone in level. And when Trapp saved the penalty, said it to you, Sam, at the time, I was like... It feels fair because I think that Frankfurt have probably done enough to go in level in this first half. And then about two minutes later, Ossiemen scores. <laughs> so I was like, all right, yeah. cool. That was, that was a nice little curse from me on, on that one. But uh, alas, it doesn't feel like Einchak will go to Naples with all that much hope. Right, let's come on to tonight's games. And I'm going to start us off by talking about RB Leipzig 1, Manchester City 1. And I'm going to start off the three points with the point that City like to play with their food. When City are on top in games, they don't just go for the jugular. They're like, hmm, let's see how we can torment them for a little while. And I know that this is all to do with the element of control that Pep wants to put into games. And I completely understand that. But I do think that City's inability to go for the jugular at points is really holding them back. And it's not quite as... I'm going to pull a comparison here that is too extreme, but I'm going to pull back on it, if if you know what I mean. It's a bit like when Juventus go 1-0 up and then in the second half, they just refuse to attack because they're like, now we'll defend 1-0 leads. You're not good at that anymore. Stop it. But City just have this thing where they'll go 1-0 up after about 15 minutes and you'll be like, right, you're completely in control of this game. Kill it dead. And instead, they just seem to be like, okay, what we're going to do is really, really wear the opposition out. And I appreciate that that has its real moments in terms of trying to make sure that you are staying in control of games. But in ties like this, where you know Leipzig aren't playing well in the first half, and we'll come on to that, You've got to just be like, right, we are in complete control here. We have to try and make this count so that there is a semblance of a cushion in the second half. And it did feel in so many ways that City got into the lead and were like, right, we'll just knock the ball around for the next 70 minutes. And look, the City team have the capacity to do that. And they love being in control of games. But this is the Champions League. And friend of the pod, Harry Brooks, did a really good tweet earlier that I thought was really interesting about why Real Madrid are good and why they're really good in the Champions League. And it's about being able to play in different game states. And the fact that you're looking at these kind of teams like Real Madrid, who were 2-0 down, and Ancelotti was like, it'll be fine. We'll just, we'll just let Vinicius do his thing. Benzema will probably score a few. Luka Modric will probably come into this game. City don't do this because City are only in control when they're in control, if that makes sense. And when the game opens up and gets stretched, and Pep talked about it, he said if Leipzig start getting into transition, 
you're in real trouble. You need to stop that happening. And the fact that City weren't able to make the most of this first half, and this isn't new, like we saw this at Nottingham Forest at the weekend as well, where they had that 1-0 lead and you go, right, how many are City going to score today at the City ground? And instead, they don't do that and they get punished for it. And it's happened all over again tonight in Leipzig. And I just think there's an element of it being like, if you start cutting through teams and the way that they sized through Leipzig for that first goal, the little dummy from Gundogan is absolutely wonderful. But the fact that it took 67 minutes to get Erling Haaland a touch in the opposition box, I think probably tells you all you need to know about the way that City set up after they scored that goal. Yeah, look, they basically ignored Haaland. Like for, for, we, we've heard all the conversations about how having Haaland has, has changed this Man City team. And, you know, I think, you know, you could either call them predictable or you could say they're too reliant on him, whichever way you want to dress it up. But he had nothing to feed off here. It was like they completely... They definitely weren't reliant on him tonight, were they? <laughs> well, it was like they didn't want him... It was like he wasn't there. Like he wasn't there. Yeah. And then he did get one chance. Didn't do anything with it. I thought, I'm sure tonight he's feeling really frustrated, to be honest. Um, you know, especially he's, he's playing in Germany. Like every time he goes and plays against a Bundesliga club, he wants to go back and remind everyone what he's about and like, you know, make his point. Um, this is this is just the way the guy's made. But he, he won't be very happy right now, Erling Haaland. We'll have to see. Uh, I think they got Bournemouth at the weekend, haven't they? See if he takes it out on them. Um, but someone soon, I think, is going to get... It's going to feel this this anger from Holland. It's going to take it out on someone soon. The longboats are going to come raiding at some point <laughs> in the near future, I think. Um, right, number two here is I have absolutely no idea what RB Leipzig's game plan was in the first half of this game. Like, I have not a clue what they were trying to do because normally you go, okay, Leipzig are a team who are under a Red Bull model, Marco Rosa is in charge of them now. We know exactly what Leipzig are going to do. They're going to try and hit City on the counter. They, don't, they won't be delighted that City have all the ball, but they equally will be able to deal with it because this is a system that is able to deal with those kind of issues. In the first half, they offered absolutely nothing to this game of football. And it was really strange. I've watched a lot of Leipzig of late and I've thought they've been really, really impressive. That win over Wolfsburg in particular, I thought they were sensational in that game. And under Marco Rosa, I think generally Leipzig have really improved. He feels like Marco Rosa and this team are a good match in that I think he's improved tactically from where he was at Dortmund last year and all this system fits him better. But I think they're playing better generally across the ball with the ball as well, which has always been a point of contention with Marco Rosa teams. But they just really didn't try to do anything in the first half. And like I'm trying to find a way of describing this that isn't no idea. But generally, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of struggling to come up with any concept of what Leipzig's game plan was. Yes, City were excellent and they had a lot of the ball and they stroked it around nicely. But when Leipzig got the ball, they didn't even try and get in the channels. They didn't try to transition quickly. You're looking at these things and going, well, Pep said that he's a bit scared of our transit. It's as if Marco Rosa double-guessed himself after Pep said that and went, well, we won't play in transition then. And I was like, yeah, but transition because there is no other way of playing right now. And it was genuinely one of the strangest things. And he said it on the commentary, and I will kind of defer to that point briefly, in that, Leipzig will be looking back at that after the way that they played in the second half and thinking, 
why the hell did we do that? <laughs> we could have yeah. won this game. <laughs> we, we could have won the game in the second half, never mind the first half. But we only played for 45 minutes of this encounter. And we've come away with a one-all draw against Manchester City. What on earth are we doing? And generally, that's that's my big takeaway from, from a Leipzig perspective. Literally, if they had come out and played like they did in the second half throughout this tie... I'd suggest that Leipzig would be in charge. I would suggest that they would have a lead going to Manchester. Now, whether that would be enough, I don't know. And I probably would err on the side of doubt. But just across the course of this game, it was just really odd. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's just that sometimes, you know, you go out with a game plan, but you're ultimately you, you get to the game and you realise what you're actually up against here. And you become a bit scared to play your normal game. I mean, the commentator during the game even said, he was like, I've actually watched a lot of Leipzig. This is not how they play. I'm. He said, "This is not. This is not what I've seen. I've watched. I think he covers all the Bundesliga games. He's like, this isn't how they play. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe it's just a case that it almost needed them to go behind in order to start playing their own game to to actually remember they have to get something from this game tonight. Or they're, they're you know, the chance of going to Etihad and pulling off a a winner hard enough, but especially if you're already behind from a first leg. So." Yeah, maybe it did him a favour in the end that Mahrez actually did score during that first half period and it was only one. Mm, yeah, I think that's probably fair. Uh, my third and final point on this one is that Pep didn't make any substitutions. Zero substitutions from Pep Guardiola. Again. Again. And there were some certain things that I thought were a bit weird about this. Now, look, let's be perfectly clear about this. The Manchester City bench is depleted. It was not the kind of host of superstars that we are used to seeing on the Manchester City bench. But Julian Alvarez and Phil Foden were both on said bench. They were asked about this before the game and Pep said that he had chosen not to select Foden uh, as a tactical decision. There was no injury-related issues. Uh, He said he played well when he came on at the weekend and decided to rest him for this one. City have Bournemouth in the Premier League at the weekend, which is one of those games where obviously Bournemouth pulled off a shock result last week and we've seen them have some moments in the Premier League this year. But you'd imagine that Manchester City will beat Bournemouth. And I'd, you know, I'd imagine they would have beaten Nottingham Forest last weekend. So maybe I'm, I'm t- talking absolute <laughs> horse. But generally, I think we talked about Xavi and the way that he rotated his Barcelona side for the Manchester United game before the Cadiz game. And we talked about it and wondered about it before this Manchester United game in terms of the fact that they have Almeria at the weekend and be like, no, play your full strength side in the Europa League against Manchester United and then rotate in the game against Almeria. That's that's the sensible way of doing things. And I do wonder if you're, you're looking at this no substitution thing and the way that Mares played tonight where Carl Walker was very high and wide on the right-hand side for City and Mares drifted inside to get closer to Haaland. He obviously cuts inside. He's, he's basically sent forward by the time he scores the goal. Felt like the kind of position that Phil Foden would love, like really love being able to drift off that wing and make things happen in those channels where he likes to, to play those kind of cute manipulative balls and, and make sure that he's very tight to the striker in order to get that kind of bouncing relationship going. And Alvarez felt like he might be able to offer something as well in a game where... City then started to play on the break and you're going, right, okay, get Alvarez on here and let him let him peg it down that side. And you have another option in these areas. I just thought it was very weird that Pep didn't make any substitutions, especially because City looked a little bit lost for periods of this game. And when you're looking at how you react to those kind of things, and you also look at how Leipzig reacted to Nkuku coming on, 
and making a difference straight away. Suddenly they grew into the game. Everyone grew 10 foot tall for a little while for Leipzig because they felt they were like, right, we've made a change. There are people here we can get at. You just feel like that little bit of a switch up, that little personnel manoeuvre gave them a lease of life. And City got none of that because there were no personnel manoeuvres from Pep Guardiola. Yeah, weird, especially as you say, like we were saying about Holland, like being ignored, like getting no service. Like, what was the point of him being there? It's you might as well have you might as well have taken him off because you weren't losing anything in that moment by doing it, apart from him pulling something out of nowhere, which obviously he can do. But but Alvarez on like like you say, like that that would probably have been the sub or push Foden back in there. Very strange, but maybe look, Man City won't see this as a bad result. Really, I mean, overall they'll, no, they'll take a one-one away at Leipzig. No, it's not a bad result at the end of the day. So. Maybe Pep's got what he wanted. He's only used 11 players. He's happy going into Bournemouth game with they're all fit. And um, this game, they can go and kill off now. They'll, they'll feel at the Etihad. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, let's roll on to our final game, Sam. Yeah, so I didn't get all the drama and all the excitement, but I did get the red cards because <laughs> there was one in Eintracht Frankfurt against Napoli and there was one in Inter's win over Porto. 1-0 bit squeaky in the end this was very well contested very very well contested and no doubt about it the latest red card for Otavio has definitely played a part in sort of finally swinging this game into Inter's favour because this was like dead on 50-50 split like absolutely all the way through you could really barely separate the two sides um not a lot worked in attack for either team I couldn't really find a way through very often and they struggled for avenues. The good thing for Inter though is that the one thing that seemed to work on the night was crossing into the box. And so it's pretty fitting actually, as my first point, that the winner came in the way that it came, which was a cross from the right into Lukaku who pounds a header against the post. It bounces back into him and he finishes it off. It's very fitting that that was the method in which the only goal of the game was scored because Inter actually... Their only real threat, Nico Barella, aside some clever movements, was crosses. And, and they did. They sent in quite a lot of crosses. And up until that point, I think I had DiMarco and Damian, left and right wing back respectively, well in the conversation for their most important players on the night because they were creating the chances. Inter couldn't really break through the middle. They couldn't really use Dzeko as a bounce ball. They couldn't really get Lautaro to finish any of his chances. But what they could do was cross the ball into the box. That's the one thing that Porto couldn't stop. So the fact that it ended up teeing up the goal for Lukaku is pretty fitting. And for Lukaku to score was quite a nice moment too. Mm, yeah, I, I thought I think you're absolutely right. And actually, that switch that Inzaghi made to take off Skriniar, pull Freddy DeMarco back into sort of right centre-back and release Dumfries down the right, I thought gave him a little bit of an edge down that side with a bit more attacking creativity, a little bit more impetus, as you say, after the red card, allowed things to open up a little bit more, even further for the wing-backs, if you will. So generally, I thought that was a nice little tweak from Inzaghi and probably won them the game in the end. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a nice little stat, actually, that uh, our commentators read out that uh, Concisau, the Porto coach, and Inzaghi, the uh, Inter coach, played together yeah, at Lazio. as teammates there you go. at Lazio under Sven-Goran Eriksson. <laughs> Long time ago, but they are old friends, old friends. So little tweaks like that, little things that happen, little 
little moments that decide the game. It's 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 between two old foes, old old colleagues, old foes. It's always very interesting. But I'll move on to point number two, which was that I actually thought the best performance on the night was from Mateus Uribe, which I did not expect to say, given the amount of talent on that pitch, particularly in midfield, it feels ridiculous really to say that he was the best midfielder, let alone the best player. But I think he put in a near-perfect performance and it's made all the more impressive by the fact that he was quite a big injury doubt coming into this game. Been missing a little bit. Porto have had quite a few injury issues, actually. But they've had to they've had to draw on their reserves a little bit. And and I think this was probably a case of what can you give me? Like, can you get all the way through this one? We really need you for the big occasion. And he turned up. And I tell you what, there were times on this on this pitch, I thought there were three of him on this pitch. I don't know if it was just that three other three Porto players were wearing yellow boots. And he was too. But I genuinely, at points, had just thought he would he had replicated um, in a, in the same way that I used to think Rodri and Fabinho did. You know, when they were just covering every blade of grass, like oh, he's just popped up there again. Oh, there he is, turning out of pressure and leading a counter attack with a good drive forward. Oh, he's just done another interception, four interceptions and a tackle on the night. Basically, never lost the ball, roaming like laterally across the the front of the defense and, and screening them. He was absolutely amazing. I, I couldn't. I could barely believe it, to be honest with you. Yeah, he's a good player. <laughs> this is this is not new, I suppose, but to do that on a, on such a big yeah. occasion and and in a, against a midfield which contains Nicolo Barella, who many will know is one of our favourite players across the board, to to kind of dominate in in there like he did was impressive. This was such a midfield battling performance from Porto, and it's really mm. funny. Obviously, we watched a lot of them last year, and within the midfield there was. Vitinha, who's now at PSG, Fabio Vieira, who's now at Arsenal. You look at these and you go, oh, there was lots of creativity in that midfield. Who have they replaced them with? But they haven't. They've just let the like, <laughs> dogs of war loose in the middle of the pitch. And I thought that was interesting that Porto went for that approach. But also I thought it was probably the correct approach considering they were away at uh, Interside in good form at San Siro. And to be perfectly honest with you, if it wasn't for a, a, a bit of real stupidity, it probably would have worked. Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, I think, it, yeah, it kind of did work. Like it, it leveled the playing field massively. Inter could not play through them. They could not use the centre of the pitch. And San Siro was getting pretty annoyed about that. They were getting quite impatient. And if you do reduce your opponents to slinging balls into the box, like obviously you don't, ideally you never concede a shot. But like one of the least threatening things you that you can concede is is a sort of lofted cross from, you know, deep position 30 yards all right Jekko's in there is going to make it difficult for you to deal with it but for the Still most part Mary, until they were, isn't it? yeah it's, it's 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 okay if that's what you reduce your your opponent to there's low percentage stuff so so well done to Porto there particularly Aribe although Grujic was was quite good as well um and it leads me on to the third and final point all things considered this isn't really too bad for Porto they've only lost one nil San Siro is very very difficult in terms of places to go. Mm-hmm. The tie is in the balance. They had a load of injury concerns heading into this game. And they got Mateus Uribe through unscathed. They got Evan Nilsson back onto the pitch as a substitute. They had a man sent off, but that's going to be okay because they get 11 men from the start next time. So in three weeks, they welcome into back to the Dragao. Horrific place for an away team to go. 11 v 11. Evan Nilsson's probably going to be fit. And they're going to have a go. And honestly, the triple save that Onana made in the second half of this game, I could not believe Porto didn't get at least a goal out of this. This is insane. Absolutely insane. Hell of a, hell of a piece of goalkeeping, this from Onana. And there are a couple of really, really 
lively counter-attacks from Porto too. So losing the first leg doesn't feel good. Doesn't feel good at all. But it's in the balance. There's lots of things coming back into your favour. And this one still feels very much alive for Porto. Yeah, absolutely. Conte Sal's dogs of war will return home to play against Inter at the Jagal. It'll be a very interesting one indeed. And with that, I think it's probably time for us to call it a day here on our Champions League review. And all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much for listening today. It's been Lots of fun talking through these games this week. We will be back in a fortnight on the Champions League Review, although we'll have two podcasts on this feed before then on our standard Wednesday slot. Thank you very much to our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much to the rank god, Mr. Sam Tai. Cheers, buddy. I've been Jack Collins, Neighbor Fast. This has been your Champions League review on Ranks FC. UEL Trues will be up in the morning on our YouTube channel. If Europa League is your bag, I'd love for you to go and have a look at that. And we will see you very shortly. Take it easy. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business is commerce platform, keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. <laughs>